0: the big bets on campus podcast podcast
1: Podcast. all right here we go
0: The fight in the door. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus Podcast brought to you by BetMGM. This is the Group of Five Deep Dive. I'm your co-host Mike Calabrese, joined by Mike Ionello. And a reminder to our audience to follow us over at the Action App. That's BBOC G Five Deep Dive. Also, we'd love some comments, some calls into the one 800 Bad Beat hotline. Anything that's uh can rile you up we'd love to love to hear all about it on Saturday you know we end up playing those episodes with Stucky and Colin they go through listen to everything that you have to share with us it's one of my favorite parts of the entire Big Bets on Campus family so make sure to call in there and give us a little love or hate just want to be relevant so hopefully we can get uh, back on your radar after a middling week last week as Ionello told me off air not for him he was picking a lot of winners some of my teams uh, didn't have as good of a run as i would have liked but in terms of a good run let's start with our g5 heroes it's the best way to start the podcast i'm gonna go with utep that's minor nation putting 915 area code on the map gavin backley Three for three on field goals, including the game-winner chip shot against FAU. Also, an incredible ending to that game. It's kind of a reminder to our audience that the beauty of betting G5 football is you see some of the wackiest stuff you've ever seen. 21-20, FAU scores the would-be game-tying touchdown. They need the extra point. It's blocked by Praise Amalaway. He then loses his helmet wisely decides not to pick up the football goes in the opposite direction his teammate picks up the football runs it all the way back for a defensive two points which probably should have sealed the game but he got unsportsmanlike conduct because he lost his helmet i wasn't exactly sure the rules behind that but just a wacky finish in el paso love the fact that utep got their fourth win of the season they now kind of have an inside track to getting to bowl eligibility what were your thoughts on utep a team that you double dipped on last week i yeah it got us the two for one special and most importantly. We finally
2: hit a Moneyline underdog. Didn't cash the parlay, but we hadn't even won a single leg until UTEP finally comes through, cashes for us. If there was ever a one to win, it was the one we doubled down on.
0: I felt like we were due after the UAB fiasco. They lose their quarterback. They're just running the ball, looking like at the very least they're going to tie the game at the end against Western Kentucky. And for some reason, they put it in their backup quarterback's hand to make a quick read on the sideline. He throws an interception. They lose that game. In a game when Dwayne McBride did exactly what we predicted he would, yeah. which is you know run for 200 yards, be an absolute monster, but he's held out of the end zone. That one really stung. It kind of set a negative tone for my weekends in terms of bad beats. But that game in particular – not that this you know is any way to make feel better about it but I feel like we were on the right side of that one but uh, you, definitely you, you can't you can't go to the bank with that all right how about your G5 hero of week eight I'm going with rice
2: wide receiver Luke McCaffrey now as half of this pick just a way for me to brag about hitting this over 57 on the pod and somehow predicting the best game of the weekend I mean this was a thrilling. 42 to 41 overtime victory. If it wasn't for me, people probably didn't even watch this game, but luckily we gave it on the pods. People had a reason to watch, but Luke McCaffrey, he's a, he was a former four-star quarterback recruit, Nebraska fans. one One of my really good friends, Kelly Kehoe, massive Nebraska fan. She was pumped when they signed McCaffrey. He had offers from like Michigan, Ohio state, Nebraska fans were very excited to have McCaffrey as, you know, their next quarterback. And he played a little quarterback, played wide receiver a little bit in 2019, but he was mostly quarterback 2020, even started two games, started and beat Penn state, but he just never caught on. He never put it together, transferred to Louisville for like three months. Then he transferred to rice last year, started three games at quarterback. Same thing. Just could not put it together as a passer. You know, it takes a lot of pride, like swallowing your pride. And, you know, I give him a ton of credit for finally switching to wide receiver this spring. Well, in this game against La Tech, he had uh, 10 catches, 171 yards, two touchdowns, also had 31 yards and a touchdown rushing. He's now top 10 in the conference in receptions, yards, touchdowns. So I give Luke McCaffrey not only G5 Hero of the week, but I give him a ton of credit for, you know, being able to swallow his pride. He wanted to be a quarterback, realizing it wasn't going to work out, switching to receiver, and he has been a very effective wide receiver this season. So shout out Luke McGaffrey.
0: Going from a single player that you love to perhaps a team that you love. I feel, I'm, I'm you know, putting my hands on the crystal ball here. I got a good sense that maybe we're headed to minor nation picks up here for your best bet. I hope so, because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let, let's go ahead and fade him against middle Tennessee. Do you agree? Is that your best bet? Matt Mitchell, hit the music, play the song.
1: We're talking minor nation.
2: Out in
0: the West Texas town of El Paso
1: picks up.
2: We're taking UTEP minus one again, going back to the well pun intended or the mine ever since beating Miami, who we've now learned sucks, middle Tennessee zone three. And I'm pretty sure I've been against them. Two of those three, uh, they've been outscored 121 to 61. They rank 120th in the country in success rate on offense. Trace Cunningham, He is who we thought he is, and he's really bad. (laughs) He's been held under 4.6 yards per attempt in the last two games. That's hard to do. The defense has been torched. They've allowed over seven yards per play in each of the last three weeks. UTEP, on the other hand, has won three of its last four games. This offense is humming. Their three highest yards per play outputs this season have all come in the last three games. We had them last week. They ran for 234 yards against FAU. Deion Hankins and Ronald Awa have basically alternated carries. Hankins had 138 yards on 17 carries last week. And if you look at that box score, you mentioned that UTEP had, you know, that game-winning drive. They went, what they go, 78 yards, something like that? Go look at the box score. Go look at, I don't have it, I wish I had it up in front of me. I think they threw one pass that whole drive. And they, uh, like, perfectly, alternated, if you look at it, it goes Hankins carry a carry Hankins carry Awot carry Hankins carry a carry Hankins carry field goal. They just relied on those backs and they've been doing that a lot more, which I love. And in the last three weeks, middle Tennessee has allowed 10 rushing touchdowns and 211 yards per game on the ground. And for the last three weeks, this team is getting torched on the ground. And as I mentioned last week, UTEP is three and one at home this season. They are just a different team in the sun bowl. More importantly, Gavin Hardison is so much better at home. He did throw a pick last week, but it hit off his receiver's hands. You know, it was intercepted off the tip, so it wasn't really – it was house for a touchdown, but it wasn't totally his fault. He still played better at home. I think UTEP's the better team here. And so with them being at home, they're only – were they, a one-point favorite? So I like UTEP at anything under a field goal here. Iron Nation, we're going to keep riding them.
0: I'm going to get into that during the round robin or G5 high five. I, I like UTEP there too. We're going to double dip again. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And honestly, I mean, you hit on all the points. And I'll just double click into one thing: the best element of this game in terms of you know ability on either side of the ball is UTEP's havoc. They've generated a lot of havoc in the last three weeks. 18 tackles for loss, six turnovers. They're blocking kicks. They're getting it done, and they're turning teams over. So I I really like them in the spot again. I, I was surprised to see this under the key number of a field goal. I, I would advise anybody to jump in before this number bubbles up a little bit, because honestly, this is just a team marching towards bowl eligibility where Middle Tennessee is kind of getting close to that, that quit level of, you know, their season kind of going off the rails. So I, I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit more in our G5 high five section. For my best bet, I like a home favorite. Year of less than a field goal as well. Louisiana traveling to Southern Miss, Southern Miss laying one. And this is all about the Southern Miss defense. They're 14th in success rate, 32nd in havoc. When it comes to stopping their run, they're 13th in success rate, and opponents are running just 3.4 yards per carry against them, which is 22nd nationally. And then when you look at what they do to put the ball in harm's way, they're 10th in sack rate. So they're getting after quarterbacks and they're 15th in interception rate against the Louisiana team that I think this is a bit of fool's gold. Yes. Woolridge went for five touchdowns last week against Arkansas State. You know how I think about Arkansas State's defense; they're just one of the worst eleven starters in all of college football. So I don't care the fact that Chandler Fields actually comes back this week. He's not going to start, but he's going to be available. Does that kind of murky the waters a little bit for them in terms of who they start or who they play? Chris Smith Jr. is back, but he really has not been the dynamic running back, you know, of the. Of Years past where they had Trey Regis and Elijah Mitchell, he's been fine, but he's going to be running into a really good Southern Miss run defense. And essentially it comes down to this is kind of similar to your UTEP play from last week. Can Zach Wilkie protect the football? Because if he does, I think they absolutely win a low scoring game here. But he's got seven picks in his last three games and Louisiana can turn teams over through the air. So, is it the Wilkie that played well enough to upset Tulane, which is really one of the best wins of the entire season out of the Sun Belt, or is he someone that's going to turn it over two or three times and have this game kind of be a coin flip? I think because of their versatility on offense, they may go a little wildcat. They may lean more heavily on Frank Gore Jr. I think they're going to put him in a position to win and win a low-scoring game. So I'm going to go with the home favorite here. What's your thoughts on this Louisiana team? That's obviously taken a huge step back from where they've been the last four years in the Sun Belt West.
2: Yeah, uh, this was actually the number one pick on my cutting room floor uh, card. Uh, I, I like to of I miss here a lot too. I don't think Louisiana's good. I think last week was just a you know they caught a bad a bad Arkansas State team on a good spot. Um, you mentioned it. They've been they've been torched against the run. They gave up you know 230 yards and three tuts to to UL Monroe on the ground. Marshall torched them on the ground. So I definitely think uh, Southern Miss. Southern Miss just kind of like mucks up games too. They just make games gross, and I think they're they're going to just rely on the run, play defense. And I think uh, Louisiana just has a lot of mistakes
0: in them that they haven't really had in the past. Um, so I,
2: I I'm on Southern Miss as well.
0: I like the the train whistle in the background. I believe that's the Southern Miss bandwagon leaving the station. So glad we could get in on that. Uh, now it's time for our G5 high five, our round robin. The G5. High five. Should we high five? High five. I mentioned uh, I'm on UTEP minus one and a half. So that's my first play. I'll go to my second play Colorado State, Boise State under 43. Talk about a gross under. Here's the thing since Andy Avalos took over in the City of Trees, that's Boise's nickname, by the way, the under is cashed in 14 of his 19 games. That's 74% of the games he's coached at Boise has gone under the closing number. And Colorado State this year, they're an underbetter's dream. Uh, the under has paid out in all three of their Mountain West games. Boise's holding conference op- opponents to just 15 points per game. And as we know, we, we discussed this team last week in the game against Air Force and really throughout the season, Boise can't throw the ball worth a lick. And Colorado State limits big plays through the air. They're ninth in explosiveness allowed through the air this season. So what does that mean? It means that Boise's going to lean on the run, running into a pretty soft Colorado state run defense, but all I need here is just long drives. I I just need them to eat up clock. And honestly, the, the key just comes back to this Boise defense. Can they hold them under 14 points? I think they absolutely can because the metrics love the Boise defense. You know, the only thing that they give up a little bit is explosive plays through the air. They've given up one deep bomb of 40 yards or more in almost every game this year, which ranks them 68th nationally. But if they can tighten that up just a little bit, I just do not see the Rams stringing together, eight, 10, nine play scoring drives against this Boise team. It's going to be cold. It's going to be, you know, clear weather conditions. I don't think you have any concerns about fumbles or, you know, rain or anything like that. So I'm going to go under 43 here. I think this is a game that's like 24, six, 24, seven Boise, really boring. And really this is a Boise team that knows exactly how they want to win games. They did it last week, 33 points scored in total against the air force. I think it's more of the same here, so I'm going to go ahead and ride this Andy Avalos under train. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm going to go right into my pick. I was going to take a different game
2: first, but I'm going to switch and go out of order because you were just teeing me right up. Let's take another gross under. Give me Nevada, San Jose State, under 44 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> the reasoning for this is pretty simple. Uh, Nevada's offense is horrific, and San Jose State's defense is awesome. I could just end right there, but Nevada is at Nevada is averaging 4.2 yards per play. That's 128th in the country. They're bottom 15 in the league in passing rushing. Obviously Carson strong moved on. Romeo Dobbs is gone. Jane Rovell went to Colorado state, who you just mentioned took the rest of the offense with him. They now suck too. Uh, Nate Cox took over as quarterback. He has somehow managed to throw just two touchdown passes all season. That's like hard to do in college football. Uh, He got pulled last week for Shane Ellingworth, the Oklahoma state transfer, but he's been just as bad. I was looking on Twitter, like Nevada fans were pissed that Cox got benched and he's horrible. So what does that say about Ellingworth? Nevada hasn't scored more than 20 points for in five straight weeks. They managed just 14 against Colorado state 16 against Hawaii. Both those teams are horrible. They only managed 300 yards, total yards of offense twice this year. That's it. Well, the San Jose State defense has been awesome. They're 20th in success rate. They're 35th at preventing explosiveness, 12th at finishing drives. And they've been especially good against the run, which is the only way Nevada has scored all season. Nevada has allowed just, or San Jose State has allowed just one rushing score in the last four weeks. On the other side of the ball, we know if you've listened all season, I still don't trust chevon Cordero. I don't think he's good. And I don't trust this San Jose State offense. They have the sixth highest passer rate in the country. They throw the ball constantly. Cordero is averaging 34 and a half pass attempts per game, yet he's only thrown seven touchdown passes. He's completing 56% of his passes. He continues to be wildly inaccurate, which was his issue at Hawaii. He just cannot complete a pass more than seven yards down the field. And this team's just 89th in success rate passing the ball. They're 75th overall. Well, the one nice thing you can say about Nevada is very surprisingly. I was like, I had to look this up three different times because I'm still not convinced it's true. So if someone else looks it up and I'm wrong, that's not on me. I've looked it up three different times. Nevada's defense is 25th in the country in defending the pass. I, good for them. And that's all San Jose State does is pass the ball. And I don't like Cordero. So if that's the one strength of them, I think there's a chance Nevada doesn't score here. And if they do, it'll likely be ten at the most. So we just need to hope that San Jose State doesn't score thirty-five points, and this under should cash.
0: I had to get out my little Geiger counter, my little Ghostbusters, uh, whatever the the spirit, the 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 ghost finder kind of thing with the the spiking on mm-hmm. it, because this is a quit factor game. Yeah. One to ten. Where is Nevada on their quit factor? I would argue probably eight and a half, nine. They'd have to win out just to get to 6 and 6 and they're running into the worst team possible really in terms of a matchup maybe in the entire Mountain West in this particular game. So I think another slow start for them. I think it's very easy to see them pack it up offensively. They're, you know, shuffling between two quarterbacks. It just doesn't seem like they're good for double digits in this game. So I really like that. Speaking of quit factor, what do we think about Georgia State? Is it time for them to pack it in this season because old Dominion's catching four on the road and Really, this is just like an eye of the beholder situation. The good Monarchs beat Virginia Tech and Coastal Carolina. They crushed Coastal Carolina. The bad Monarchs lost at home to Georgia Southern and needed a huge second half comeback to beat Arkansas State. So which team are we getting here? I'll I'll put that on the shelf for a second. Georgia State hasn't been lights out at home. They lost by 17 to Coastal. They lost outright to Charlotte, and Club Lit is now shut down, boarded up. And they just got blown up by App State by 25 points. So I think they're in the same conversation as Nevada in terms of the quit factor. I think they're an 8 or 9 out of 10 here. On the other side, I'll go back to Old Dominion. I already liked their offense. You talked me into the Wolf Pack you know, throughout this season, and what they've been able to do with Ally Jennings on the perimeter has been great. But it's really about Blake Watson since he's really taken off in the last three games, 447 rushing yards across his last three with five total touchdowns, he gives them the perfect balance to have the best unit on the field, which is their offense in this game. And also the opposite of a quit factor, this is a must win for Old Dominion because their drive for bowl eligibility to get to six wins, they got to have this one because they got Marshall, James Madison, App State and South Alabama on deck. They can't really be asking for more than two wins in that group. So they got to win this game um, you know, I'm probably going to sprinkle in the money line as well. The fact that they're catching four over that key, you know, number of a field goal, I think that's a gift. I'm going to go ODU here. I know that they couldn't get it done in their last game, but I think that changes against the Georgia State team that's just been too Jekyll and Hyde throughout the whole season and have just not been all that intimidating at home. So, what are your thoughts on the Panthers? I know as a team that we were more bullish on in in August, but honestly, it hasn't materialized.
2: I, I strongly thought about it, but I I'm very aware and honest about my biases and I was like I'm starting to get worried I'm like am I just do I just like old dominion every week because I just love them and they've come through for me or are they actually good and same thing on the other side georgia state has been so disappointing again I, I they were probably my favorite win total coming into the year they're over and it's just been a just a terrible terrible season for them so I like it I would like I said I thought about it I just ended up backing off but you know I never turned down an opportunity to ride with the Wolfpack.
0: Wolf in the shotgun, and he's got him. Asking you shall receive, my friend, from Hayden
1: Wolf. All
0: right, so we got one more, I believe, to close out the g 555
2: and we can- yeah. And I have a feeling this is this is teeing you up because you started even before we started recording. Calibre started venting about something, more specifically, someone. And he doesn't know, we don't talk about our picks beforehand. but I said, no, 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 you save it. I'll give you an opportunity to talk this up. My last bet, I'm going with probably the best, no, definitely the best game in the G5 this week. I'm taking UCF plus one. I kind of hinted I was going to do this last week. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I think the Knights are the best team in this conference. I still think they beat Cincinnati. Even after that tough, tough loss against East Carolina. It was just a bad showing the week before. I think it was clearly a look ahead spot. Also, that was just vintage Gus Malzahn. That's what the Gus Bus does. He loses to crap teams and then he beats Alabama. Well, this is the G five Alabama, Cincinnati. They're just not the team that they were last year. They're just not a group of five team. You you can't have nine players drafted to the NFL and not miss a beat. It's just not possible in the group of five. Now, before I say anything bad about Cincinnati. I do want to say, Ivan Pace Jr. is awesome. <laughs> he transferred from Miami, Ohio. He, was, he led the MAC in tackles last year. This dude is a monster. He's averaging more than 10 tackles per game. He has 15 and a half tackles for loss this season. Eight sacks. Both lead the country. He's pro- he might be a first round pick when all is said and done. This dude is so good. So I do want to say shout out to him. That being said. They, ju- they have not replaced Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant. They're just 80th in coverage this year. They're just barely above Nebraska in coverage ranking. The Bearcats give up. They give up a ton of explosive plays in the passing game. Sure, they've won six straight games after losing to Arkansas in the opener. But they beat Tulsa by 10. They beat South Florida by four. They beat SMU's backup quarterback by two. Like, are, are we really that impressed with them? They've really struggled to run the ball. Corey Kiner's been hurt. Ben Bryant's throwing over 30 times per game. I doubt that's what Luke Fickle wants. UCF is 11th in the country against the run, so they should continue to shut down this this Cincinnati running game. And they're going to have to just make them one-dimensional. And while I do think Cincinnati will be able to move the ball passing, because that has been the weakness against UCF, the Knights have the best red zone defense in the country. So even if Cincinnati can kind of dink and dunk down the field, when UCF tightens up in that red zone, it's you just can't score. And this night's offense is 18th in the country in success rate. They're 15th in rushing, 25th in passing. They've done everything well. John Reese Pumley's averaging 328 yards passing over the last three games. He's really gotten that side of his game going. He's still their leading rusher. But Isaiah Bowser, RJ Harvey, Johnny Richardson, they've all been great. They're super balanced. They have three really good receivers, Javon Baker, Ryan O'Keefe, and Kobe Hudson. They just... They have more weapons at this point I think than Cincinnati does. And this is one of those, you know, was it what's the saying the immovable force against the unstoppable whatever. Cincinnati has won 17 straight conference games. But if you take out that weird covid season 2020, UCF has won 18 conference games at home in a row, not including 2020. So, something's got to give here. Cincinnati is just one and two at the bounce house. And they won. Their win was by three points in that 2020 season with just 10,600 people in attendance. That's 24% of capacity. In the two normal seasons, UCF outscored them at home by a combined score of 62 to 16. This is the bounce house, baby. It is going to be jumping, and UCF's going to get the win.
0: I love oh, on your rant. Deep, I love the deep dive of the stadium capacity. I thought you were gonna hit me with like there was no nacho cheese at the concession stand. I mean, that's what fuels the bounce house. Yes, everyone knows this. Uh yeah. I I I hate Luke Fickle. I, I I just hate the Go guy's worse. guts. Um, you know, they finally break through the glass ceiling. A G5 team makes the playoff last year. He has an all-timer G five defense that actually keeps him in the game and he calls the most conservative sad sack game plan i've ever seen like take your shots like on the opposite end of the spectrum it's the you know um, coach pete situation with boise in 2006 against oklahoma where it's like we're here we might as well you know pull out every trick that we have to try to win the football game cincinnati's like oh it's fine if we just lose by two touchdowns that's cool then you have this game against smu where no matter how it plays out he always finds a way to screw me over he all of a sudden decides to be aggressive late in the game, goes for it on a fourth and one at his own 40, gives a huge you know, shot in the arm to SMU who turns around and just runs it down their throat and scores the last two touchdowns of the game to have a backdoor cover. The only thing that you know saved me because I, I was absolutely fuming in that game was Levine, the running back for SMU, looks like a dead ringer for Tim Riggins out of <laughs> Friday Night Lights. He's got like the little rest- stricter you know bullring thing just absolutely powering through linebackers to get in the end zone so that did make me smile a little bit but Luke Fickle is very close to getting sent to podcast prison for me because no matter how I seem to play the Cincinnati team they just mess around and you know fail to cover numbers in AAC play and I agree with just about everything you said on the UCF side where if they come to play and John Rice Plumley gets a hot start in this game. I could see them putting up a big numbers and potentially boat racing Cincinnati, but this is Gus Malzahn. So I think it's going to be a binary situation, either that or they're going to come out flat and just not have the game plan to be able to pick apart the Cincinnati defense. I, if I had to choose I'm on your side with UCF, I think the bounce house is going to be a zoo.
2: That's why I, I almost feel better that they came out flat last week.
0: Don't you yeah, like it's almost yeah, like I the vintage
2: agree. Gus letdown spot where he just like, Mess around with crap teams, or well, not that crap team, because as we'll talk about. But like, they, that, them coming out flat last week almost gives me more confidence. If that makes any sense. All
0: right, let's jump in to our Week Nine underdog moneyline parlay, and We're hot. We're hot. don't let us get hot. Yeah, don't let us get hot. Last week, I I tried on. You know, your shoes, walked a mile in your shoes, went with a small underdog, and UAB broke my heart. So I'm going to go back to doing me. You know, if I'm going to go out, if I'm going to go winless on this entire season on Moneyline Underdogs, I'm going to do it my way, Frank Snatcher style. I'm going Akron Moneyline oh. against Miami of Ohio, plus 270. Who cares how bad Akron was in September? In Mac play, here we go. They're sixth in scoring offense. Miami is 12th. They're fifth in total offense. Miami is 11th. This is the number one passing offense in the Mac and conference play. DJ Irons is absolutely the right man to be running this offense. Six total touchdowns, just three turnovers in Mac play. And their defense has been halfway decent. I would say like regular bad in, in terms of Mac play. They've kept them around to be able to flirt with an upset at Kent State. They absolutely were able to rein in a Central Michigan offense. And Miami can only do it on the ground. They cannot throw the football. So sure, they're gonna absolutely eat on the ground in this game. The Akron run defense is awful, but I will pepper in one fact. Akron's given up a lot of yards this year, but not to quarterbacks running the football. Avion Smith is, you know, critical in terms of the Red Hawks game plan. He needs to go for, you know, triple digits on the ground running the football. I think he'll probably have a big day, but this Akron offense gives me a shot, and I'm gonna go with them here. Mac play, I think officially with last week's Toledo meltdown, giving up 24 points in the fourth quarter to Buffalo. I think we are truly getting ready for crazy Maction. And what would be crazier than Akron getting their first win of the season in Mac play over a Miami team that I think is just fine. I I don't think their defense is special. You talked about Ivan Pace. They lost another linebacker in the transfer portal in the off season as well. I think Akron could score 38 points in this game. Can their defense give up 37? We're about to find out. So I'm going to go with the Zips on the money line. What are you pairing up here in week nine? Well, first, I just want to say, I think you're just so, you know, in love with this
2: Akron offense after watching them torch. They outscored Kent State last, or outgained Kent State last week, despite the loss. I do want to say one thing that makes me nervous about this. You mentioned Avion Smith. You do know Brett Gabbert, like, came back from the clouds and and played last week, which was stunning. I thought he was out for the season, and then all of a sudden, he just, like,
0: played. I I still believe they're going to use both at least according to, you know, kind of the the game script. So if they do, I think it's like, honestly, gun to my head, I would prefer Gabbert in this game coming in a little bit rusty, as opposed to Avian Smith, who could carve up a bad run defense. Either way, this is a play on the Zips offense. I hope that they can score north of 35 points. And it's from a tempo perspective and quarterback quality perspective, I think that they can. I would feel much better about that play if it
2: was on a Tuesday. As much as that doesn't make any sense, it makes perfect sense if you watch Mac football. I'm taking East Carolina plus 135 at BYU on Friday night. Look, we know this is a Holton Hailers podcast. This has been a Holton Hailers podcast for the seven years that he's been at ECU. He leads the American with 304 yards per game and with 18 touchdown passes. He has just five interceptions and he has the lowest turnover-worthy play rate of his career. And anyone who's watched Holton Aylors knows that has been the issue for the last four years.
1: That's got to be the best part I've ever seen. So it would seem.
2: He just threw for over 300 yards against a good UCF defense in a blowout win, which we talked about. He has two really big receivers. And while ECU did lose Raja Harris for the season, which sucks, he's awesome. They do still have Keaton Mitchell. They've had that two-headed monster for, you know, the last three years now. And Mitchell's a stud. He has 254 yards and five touchdowns in the last two games since Harris went down. And this BYU defense is broken. I don't know what happened. They, like, looked really good the first, like, two, three weeks. They gave up 500 yards and 6.8 yards per play against Notre Dame, who, like, stinks. They allowed 644 yards, 7.9 per play to Arkansas. They allowed 547 yards, 7.1 per play to Liberty and their third string quarterback. Liberty scored 41 points on them with their third string quarterback. BYU BYU's 108th in points per game. They've allowed 31 points per game, 130th at preventing finishing drives. They can't stop the pass. They can't stop the run. Their secondary is just an absolute mess. They get no pressure. And we talked about this, you know, the CCU offense, I feel like has always been good. They've been good for since bit reasons. Ailers has been there. But their defense has taken a really, really big step last season. That was honestly my biggest takeaway against NC State in that first game was how much they took away NC State's ability to run the ball, how many times they stuffed NC State at the goal line. They've been awesome against the run all season, and they should make BYU one-dimensional, especially since BYU will be without running back Chris Brooks, which is a huge loss for them because Jaron Hall just doesn't look right. I know Stucky mentioned thinking he might be hurt. He completed just 45% of his passes against Liberty, he already has more turnover-worthy plays this year than he had in his whole career coming into this season. And very similar to my UTEP pick last week, and honestly, it probably applies to most teams, ECU success comes down to Ayler's protecting the football. The Pirates are 5-3 this season. They have two turnovers in each of their three losses. So six turnovers and three losses. They have just one turnover in their five wins combined. Well, BYU doesn't force many turnovers. They're 89th in the country. They force just nine turnovers all season. So, able protect the football. They should be able to torch this BYU defense that has been an absolute train wreck. I think the Pirates can go into Provo, get the win. I don't have an ECU shirt, so I'm wearing a Pittsburgh Pirate shirt. Let's raise the Jolly Roger in Provo.
0: Yo-ho-ho. Ho. I'm into it. I like it. Um, I agree. BYU's been playing with like a half deck the whole year like someone's been hurt on their offense every single week and if jaron hall is dinged up i mean there has to be some explanation for not being able to pick apart the liberty defense so i agree with you let's go with the team that's has the hotter quarterback certainly has cut their teeth against really good teams this year i mean they opened the season against a fully healthy nc state they nearly won that game so they're they're high level their fastball i think is clearly good enough you know to get the win there and i will Go back to my Miami of Ohio, Akron play to point out. I'm glad that you you wanted to get into Brett Gabbert. They only scored ten points against Western last week at home, and he averaged 5.8 yards per attempt with a QBR of 24.8. So whether it's Avion Smith in some capacity, you know, being a change of pace, being a wildcat quarterback, or if it's Gabbert the whole game, I kind of like this, this play even more now that I'm thinking that Gabbert may end up getting a full 60 minute run in this game. All right, now for what's turned into our most profitable portion of the podcast, which is the cutting room floor, our bonus picks. It sounds like you had a bunch of them. So let's just run through the ones that you liked and I'll give you my gut reaction.
2: Well, I had missed too. So obviously I know you like that.
0: Uh, I like UAB
2: again, minus five against FAU. Uh, what, do we
0: know the quarterback situation? We
2: don't. He's in protocol. I obviously like it a lot more if he plays. I yeah. took it just hoping he plays um zito looked bad but maybe with a full week of practice you know he didn't he start at baylor he's jumped around a lot so and you we all know what i think about fau again this is a game where you just if you give mcbride the carry about 40 times they should win this game so i obviously like it a lot more if hopkins plays that's something to monitor i took it at five so i think it'll go up if he plays but i still like it honestly i just think i think fau stinks And then this, I couldn't go with a gross, two gross totals in a row. I went with the gross under instead of the gross over. 59 and a half is the total again in Charlotte against Rice. It's almost the same principle as the law tech one. These defenses are so bad. And you have, you know, maybe Charlotte's offense clicks with the new interim coach. We've seen the interim coach thing work before. If Chris Reynolds is healthy, Charlotte could put up 40 on anybody. And we saw what Rice did last week. I really like that over. I, you know, I didn't want to play too gross totals, but Charlotte Rice over 59 and a half. I really like that as well. These defenses are both horrific. Uh, then the only other one I have written down, I don't love it as much, is, is South Alabama minus 10 against Arkansas State.
0: That, 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 was, that was the one for me. Perfect. Um, you know, it, it's a little bit of a letdown after the loss to Troy. Um, they no longer control their own destiny in the Sunbelt West, but. From a head-to-head perspective, this Arkansas State defense is going to make anybody look good on offense. But really, South Alabama I think has been one of the biggest surprise stories in the entire Sun Belt in terms of offensive year-over-year um, improvement. You know, between Webb at running back and what Bradley's been able to do at quarterback, I just I, I think they're going to run away with this game. Ten, I, I think, is pretty you know accurately priced. But if it were to dip below that key number of 10, I think that becomes a hammer spot for me on the Jags. Yeah, I agree. It's, 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 is it a letdown after the Troy game
2: or are they pissed off after the Troy game? And you've had, you know, Troy trolling them a little bit. Do they come out mad and just stomp Arkansas State? I could also see that, which is kind of why I didn't play it. But I do agree with you where I, I like it.
1: As a reminder, the Big Bets on Campus podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. So kick off the new pro football season with the king of sports books, sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION200 and your first wager is risk free up to $1,000 visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia. One 800 bets off in iowa 1-800-981-0023 in puerto rico call 8778 hope ny or text hope ny in new york call or text the tennessee red line at 800-889-9789 or 1-888-777-9696 in mississippi in ontario if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you please contact connects ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states were prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York.
2: We wanted to give you guys an update. If you listen back, when did we do this? June, July? We did a New Year's Six draft where we each drafted some G5 teams. I believe we now have three, two, two sitting in in the top 25. So we wanted to give you guys a quick update on where we stand. And we decided the loser has to send the other a swag pack of that team's bull appearance. Calabrese had the first pick. He took Houston. That is not looking good. (laughs) He also has Boise State. Eh, maybe. UTSA, SMU, Coastal Carolina. Uh, I guess Coastal still only has one loss. My picks were Cincinnati and UCF. Big game for my New Year's Six aspirations here. Fresno State, still alive in the Mountain West. Marshall and Air Force. So that is where we sit right now. I would definitely say I have the edge as we stand,
0: I'm just going to go ahead and curl up my fist like an angry wave. Cause I have to ride them. I, I really I just have to play spoiler in this spot. Cause it would take an absolute car wreck in the AC for coastal to win out and then to leapfrog all those teams. So I'll go with Tulane. I love and, what's going on in New Orleans. I mean, it, it's a team I've always had a sentimental positive feeling for. So I'm going to go with them. I
2: will say for those don't remember how, what we made our tiebreaker. If a team goes that none of us picked, I got to be honest, Matt Mitchell is going to look pretty good in that two-lane green wave gear. That was the deal was if we don't, if none of our picks hit, we have to split sending a pack to Matt Mitchell, our producer. So Matt Mitchell, I hope you
0: look good in green because that. (laughs) I, I do believe, not to dox him on this one, but I, I think his, his oldest loves Tulane, so the fact that there could be more swag in the house with Angry Wave would just make for a very happy holiday season in the Mitchell household. Gives him an excuse to go down to New Orleans for a weekend. He'll have all his, he'll have his whole outfit packed. To be clear, my son Moneyline Monty sleeps with a little Tulane Green Wave helmet next to his little bed, because he loves the little uh, Angry Wave fists. And I sent him to school this very morning it's chilly here in the buckle of America's Dairy Belt, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in his little Tulane hoodie. So, yeah, that'll be welcome news. Go Greenway. Perfect. All right. All right. For Mike Ionello I'm Mike Alvarez. This has been the Big Bets on Campus podcast, our group of five deep dive. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you get off to a hot start this week. Thanks a lot.